Welcome to Inspirations in My Backyard. Original, relatable, authentic. Inspirations in My Backyard reflects human journeys shared through inspirational stories around our local heroes. Come and join me. Let's explore now. It's not what you say, but it's how you say it. All of the intelligent content behind them had to be put in a really meaningful way to make it stick, and that's why I love what I do. I, I learned that. Even though I feel, even though I feel, everyone is so smart around me. Everyone knows so much more. What possibly could I add? I'm just the theatre person. Well, it turns out that that one skill almost always trumps the rest. I first met Sonia Jovanovic at a student event, and I was so impressed by her public speaking skill and her passion for international students. So I thought, hmm, she seemed to be a very interesting person. I want to interview her. And I'm so glad that I did. I found out she's not only interesting but also inspiring. She represents a minority culture, which shapes a very unique perspective on her own culture identity. She is a public speaking coach and founder at Academy Talent, a place to cure stage fright, and her clients even include some TEDx speakers. However, she discovered that need and her superpower by chance. Apart from that, I'm just very inspired by her dedication. It really stuck in my mind. I just couldn't believe the fact that she used to be a shy girl, and English is not her first language. So now I think it's a perfect time to share with you all her journey, reflections, and tips. But first of all, I want to try something different. Tell us three unique or interesting facts about you. I represent a micro minority culture. So my cultural heritage is Romani, which is the Gypsy people, and the Gypsy people spread out all over the world, including Serbia, which is where my surname comes from. But my cultural heritage is a micro minority and often misrepresented. So I am one of very few. Gypsies in Adelaide. So, what does that heritage mean to you? It means that we connect with people differently. We are we're a global citizen.、Mm-hmm. My culture doesn't have a home. My my heritage, my people group, they came out of ancient India many 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 centuries ago, and so anywhere that they spread out over the world, they claim that land as their home. Like they put their foot down, and that's now their home. But、mm-hmm. we're still a global citizen. We're connected by our language and our culture. So that's a unique aspect of who I am. So I call myself. Australian one day, Serbian the next, and Romani Gypsy the next. But realistically, I'm a global citizen. I contribute and adapt to cultures very uniquely. So, what that global citizen、um, inspire you to do things differently? It does. It means that I I'm also so enthused to support international students who choose to, choose to come to this country to become part of a brand new culture in a brand new language, just like I did,、mm. and I can relate to that. Experience of finding cultural differences. I can relate to that, and I want to support students in their journey so that they can add value back to Australia. And by the same token, I've embraced Australia so much that it is well and truly home. So actually, you were not born here. I was, but this is the interesting thing about a global citizenship: is that I was born in a country that I don't identify with because I didn't know English. Neither of my parents are. Uh, Australian by heritage. I didn't know English at all 
started in a culture that I didn't identify with. You know, it's very different being born in one country but raised in a different culture. That's what I genuinely believe. I could have been born in China just by proximity. Maybe my family was traveling there, but I wouldn't feel the heritage being Chinese. Does that make sense? So I identify as Australian because of my birthplace, yes. Mm -hmm. But I identify with the cultural heritage of the Romani people, the Gypsy people, but I have a Serbian name and a Serbian surname. So I kind of identify with all of them equally, uh, but I think live and dream uh, Romani Gypsy culture. So actually you can speak all three. Uh, all three languages. Yeah. That's really good. Because yeah. I know a lot of people, um, they were born here, but their parents, like say from China, and then they, they couldn't speak Chinese. We had a rule in my house. When I was being raised in my household, I didn't speak a word of English until I started school. And then I had to learn English as a second language. And when I went through that journey, then my f family at home still had a rule that we weren't allowed to speak English at home. So to this day, I can still speak all languages fluently. If you spoke English at home, what would happen? Like, what <laughs> is it? I have a distinct memory of this. <laughs> if I was to say, mom, I'm hungry. My mom would say in Serbian, you're what? I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth. What are you? I'm hungry. She'd say again in Serbian, I still don't understand the words. If I then say, mama gladna sam, then she'd feed me. So, so she was cool. so strict on that. That's they wouldn't so respond that. until I speak the language. It's really good. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, I, I was a ballerina for most of my life and I loved working on the stage. I loved working on musical theater productions. So if I could, I'd still be performing, but I was injured. After my injury, so I, I fell on the small of my back and injured my spine, which is why I'm not a ballet dancer anymore. And after that injury, I had to find a way to rehabilitate myself and I went through some physio and, and had to get back into, I mean, you're young. I was, tw I was 21 ish, 20 when I was injured. So I had to find a way to still feel capable of living a normal life. And so I went through some physio and ended up after a little bit of physio and a lot of support from family and friends, I ended up running the City to Bay Marathon. And that was my challenge and my goal was to go from being struggling to stand and walk to running a marathon and I did. How did so, you do that? How did you manage to do that? Dedication and a lot of work. <laughs> How, are you always a very dedicated person? Commitment through and through. Everything. If I commit to something, I see it to the end. So when I committed myself to being a young person that wasn't going to be held down by this injury, I I committed to whatever it took. Uh, the physio, the regular walks, the standing up. I mean, sometimes to this day, I can't necessarily sit up if I've laid on a, a hard surface, like the floor. If I lay on the floor for 30 seconds, I can't yeah. sit up. I have to roll out. Like it's still, it's still an issue even today. Mm -hmm. But I was so committed that I worked hard and I ran the City to Bay Marathon slowly, but I still ran it. Wow. <laughs> How are you like so committed? Because it's easy to say, but it's really hard to be so self-disciplined and committed to something. My parents. I've witnessed, I've witnessed commitment and hardship and results and determination. I've witnessed everything 
in my parents' lives. I've seen the end result and the repercussions of not being committed. I, I've seen it all with my family. My family inspires me. One good example is yeah. my father's an entrepreneur as well. He started a business. He didn't know a word of the language, but he started a business somehow in this country, committed through and through, and he found a way to make success. And he got to a point where he was successful. He had an office and warehousing and 40-odd staff and lots of clients, and he did well. And then there was a fire. There was a fire in his commercial property, which meant that we lost everything. And I distinctly remember this. I was a teenager at the time. We lost everything to this fire. It was televised in the news and... Yeah, we didn't get an insurance payout for legal reasons. It's hard to explain. We didn't get an insurance payout. We lost everything we had in that one fire. My father, rather than claiming bankruptcy and starting again, he actually just picked up and serviced every site himself and managed somehow through sheer will and determination to start the business from scratch and still have success. And I saw that determination. I saw the wake up at 4 a.m., bedtime by 11 p.m. I saw the mum going to help him on some sites, going to work, coming back afterwards. I saw my brother picking me up from school, taking me via some of the work sites so I could see dad briefly before we went home. And that determination, that commitment, he was so determined that he wouldn't claim bankruptcy because he knew it would affect our lives. He would not claim bankruptcy and he was so committed that he's back to where he was before. He's got an office, he's got 40 staff again, he's got success and he's warehousing and and that commitment has resulted in a boom of growth in business. I've witnessed it, I grew up in that environment of commitment. I mean, my father was a political refugee to this country after the war and, and they came over they came over as immigrants into this country and how could you not but be successful if you're coming out of mm. an environment of hardship and coming into a country like Australia, which is mm. success and a land of milk and honey. This country is by far the best thing that's ever happened to us. Wow, that's, that's so, so amazing like, <laughs> when you share that. <laughs> but now I got a question, which is because you said your father used to be a, a political refugee. But why your focus is not refugees, but international students instead? International students have such a desire, well, whether it's theirs or their parents, they have such a desire to succeed. They were willing to leave their country, which isn't necessarily by need. Like my parents left their country by need. They had to leave. But an international student chooses to leave their country, to go to another country where they know that they will have access to better education, networks, jobs, whatever it might be. This is a conscious choice they make to proceed to succeed. And if I am willing to support that, by our powers combined, that student will go 10 times further. And so, I mean, of course I support, that's actually part of my my personal life is I sit on a few charitable boards and we still run humanitarian aid trips. So my, my support of those immigrants and refugees is still current. But in my corporate business, I love supporting those who choose to progress in life and they face the issues we did, so I support that through and through. That's so beautiful. Thank you. That's okay. Interesting fact number three is that there's so many interesting things I could say. Where do I start? I am an entrepreneur in this business, so I didn't buy into a franchise or anything like that. I started this from scratch by myself and just recently have been in a place where I've been able to grow my team and grow the business. I was working with two corporate 
entities, large corporate businesses actually, my past two jobs, both of which actually shut down, not by my doing. And I kind of, my mind went back to, okay, I'm a theatre performer by trade, I'm a ballerina, an actress or whatever it is, and I've got this theatrical trade. How do I use that uniquely? And so I had to take a leap of faith by necessity. Here's that kind of determination to do something. I'd witnessed entrepreneurship and commitment from my father. My mother's also in business. I've witnessed, I was raised in an entrepreneurial household. So I kind of naturally just went, okay, what do I do now that I am made redundant here? I'm made redundant here. I'm so committed to my own future and success. I'm not just going to lay back and go, well, now what? I'm just going to go on Centrelink or I'm going to go whatever. The option was there, but I went, no, I'm actually going to commit to doing something better and different. And I started a business with no business experience myself, just witnessing my parents, did a business degree at uni, but the practical side is wildly different to theory, <laughs> wildly different. Why did you, because like what I can see is like you are a very artistic person, So, but yes. why did you learn business at uni? I had this assumption that uh, getting myself a broad degree like management would mean that I could do anything anywhere. I mean, there's managers in various sectors, right? So I actually got the qualification assuming I'd go and get a management position somewhere. Yeah. However, while doing the course, what I witnessed was so many managers and so many business owners and business trainers who couldn't actually speak well, even in the university area, professors and lecturers. I saw people who had technical knowledge but couldn't speak to it. And that's when I realized, wait, that's something I can help them with. That's that's the one part that I can do. And that's when the penny dropped that in regular life, on a day-to-day basis, we are performing, we just don't realize it. And that's where my theatrical training came in handy and I was able to start coaching. Inspirations in my backyard. Original, relatable, authentic. Now we are moving right. to the second part. Sure. Um, about performing and public speaking mean to you. Sure. So can, can you tell me um, when and how it starts? Yes, absolutely. For me, I started in the performing world at the age of three. It was simply because I was struggling to learn the language and I needed to find a way to uh, communicate differently. And so as a young person, even though I was raised in a household where we didn't speak English, my parents foresaw, they knew that I would go into a Western study environment and I'd have to speak a language I didn't know. So they put me into some theatre classes and dance and all that sort of thing so that I could find a way to use non-verbal communication, my body language. Uh, to communicate and so nonverbal communication was my key and I started in theatre at a young age. That then became my passion and I found that the reason theatre was a good avenue for me is that there are three words, it's even in my logo, perform, create, express. Performance goes way beyond the stage. You perform better as a person, as an employee, you just perform better in life. Create. It's a blank canvas, it's just an empty dance floor. You can move however you like to create an image or an idea or an emotion. People can cry watching a dance and there's no words. And express, as an individual, you can express anything, it's a load off your shoulders. You express yourself and I felt so much better as a result. You are always very talented and always confident in that area. Well, not really. <laughs> you, 
that's a good thing about theatrical training is that you develop the confidence you need. Mm. Uh, I mean, I started in school. I didn't know a word of the language, so I'd back away from all the students. I didn't know how to handle them. I had this really weird habit of squatting in corners of rooms because I didn't want to speak to anyone. Uh, so the introvert in me was like, just going to hide from everyone and just squat in the corner here and just be like. So I avoided human contact. And theatre was a really good release because I could become something new. I've played a tree, I've played a mustard seed, I've played a dog. Like, you know, you can become something you're not and it's a great way of expression, but uh, still at the end of the day you get off stage and you're still you. Which is an introvert. (laughs) No, I'm recovering because now the reality is nine times out of ten, Everyone just goes, you're such a bubbly person. You're That's so right. enthusiastic. I you're so like, oh, I can't imagine like. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that has become my brand. I'm known for bubbly, energetic, on extrovert, full of life, would go up to anyone and speak to them. I have trained myself to do that because reality is sometimes I get home and I just don't want to speak to a human being ever. I just get home and it's just my puppy and my Netflix and my silence. And uh, that is nice for recovery sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm not a book nerd anymore or anything like that. It's just uh, I've learned that I'm progressing in life because that extroverted nature is helping. So mm. play the role. Mm-hmm. So for people like who want to become you, is there any tips, like say three tips you want to share with them to be better? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Be willing to play. You know, sometimes you get into a, a case where people are like, I don't know what to do with my hands when I'm speaking or whatever. Yeah. Just play with it. You know, imagine yourself like a child almost. Be willing to play and learn because we actually learn the most out of our comfort zone. So be willing to allow yourself to play. Secondly, theatre is not a dirty word. People think that because I'm a theatrical-based trainer that they're going to have to do a song and dance and all that sort of stuff, and that's all very scary. Uh, No, theatre is not just a, oh gosh, if only people understood. People have this perception that theatre or the arts are lower standard or somehow it's the cop-out degree that doesn't do anything into your life or doesn't progress it's there's no career in it or anything like that and look there are elements of of that for theatrical productions that's true but the skill set goes far beyond I mean if I've just discovered the cure for cancer and I can't speak about it what's the point being able to perform that on stage and get into the character of the speaker It's a theatrical skill. So one, be willing to play. Two, theatre is a good uh, word. Don't be scared of it. Be willing to... How do you define theatre? Okay. So theatre is literally it's acting or learning how to create something new. Ideally, improv. Theatre doesn't necessarily mean you have to actually go into the field and become an actor, singer, dancer, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's all of the creative arts. So if you are a... Painter, it's a creative skill set, but ideally theatre has a performing element. So artists who perform while they paint, it's even better. Does that make sense? Because there's an element of performance and pressure there. That's ideal for me. There's a performance element. And what about some people, they may say, oh, I don't think I'm a creative person. Does that mean like I can't do theatre? No, not at all. If you think about a really good example is Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean or Rowan Atkinson, uh, as a person, when you watch his interviews and you see who he is off stage, is wildly different to who Mr. Bean was on stage. 
wildly different. Mm. He's quiet, reserved, he calls himself an introvert, mm. but then he gets into the relevant character as needed. You don't have to be a natural creative. You don't have to be that kid that was like the loudest one in the class as, as a child in school. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're naturally going to be a performer. Some of the best performers that we know have learned how. It's not always a natural skill. There's actually a formula. You learn how to perform. The third tip is don't try to be someone else. I've seen so many people like, how do I become like you in the workshops? Like, you can't necessarily become like me because it would not be genuine or authentic to you. Point is, people buy authenticity. Mm -hmm. And if you're authentically quirky, if you're authentically funny, if you're authentically whatever, like your unique element, embrace it. Mm. We put certain formulas in place to manage fear, to create engagement, to become a little bit more uh, interactive and engaging, sure. But authenticity will sell every time. So if I'm going to put a introverted scientist on a TEDx stage, he doesn't then become the curly-haired, flamboyant dancer like me because that's not really him, you know? So authenticity will always sell 10 times more than mimicking. What is a better way to get to know yourself? I challenge those who come through my workshops to become self-aware with a skill map. A skill map is a really good thing in the process of self-awareness. And it's not just because, oh, you regurgitate the same words that you do in an interview, like, ah, oh, I'm an accountant, I'm a team player, and blah, blah, blah. They're just the words we say because we know they sell our skill set in an interview. But the better way to go about it is to come up to someone who you know, like, and trust, like your family, friends, colleagues, and get input from others. So I actually design a matrix. It's like four quadrants like this, right? Now the top two quadrants are professional skills. The bottom two quadrants are personal skills. These two on that side are self-talk. And then these two on this side are other, uh, others talk. So you have a professional skill set, a personal skill set. How do you talk about yourself and how do others talk about you? So when people actually do this skill map, they unlock some ideas about themselves that they were never aware of before. Also, I tell people to put their likes and hobbies on there. If they play soccer, there's an underlying skill set there that they're not aware of. If they are an online gamer, well, this is a perfect example, if they're an online gamer, there are skills required to play games that you're not aware of. You prioritize, you time check, you can work in a team, you know what you need to do to achieve a certain level, to unlock a certain level, to get a key to reach the wizard's castle. I don't know, whatever it might be, you can plan all of that out. You're a project manager of a game. You take that skill set into an actual boardroom, you could probably learn how to be a project manager. So people can become so aware of themselves and unlock these underlying skills if they run a skill map. I encourage people to do it every year. Lovely, I like that. What do you think is a good way to deliver the message? Okay, a good way to deliver the message is to start with the why and start with the story. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, which is why Simon Sinek is such a powerful speaker on the content of Start With Why. That TED Talk is amazing, by the way. Starting with why is a reason that we create buy-in. Whatever you're selling, even if you're just selling an idea, it's creating buy-in if people know why. They should listen, why you're talking about it, why the content matters. And along with that, taking us on a journey of the story is also the most important thing. You know, for some reason, we stop being storytellers when we grow up. 
We loved being storytellers and story listeners when we were kids. It was our bedtime story time and you could make up an innovative story on a playground with any kid that suddenly became your best friend. And for some reason, when we get older, we stop telling stories. And that is actually the most important part. And if you think about how practical that is, even in a case study sense, being able to tell a story is paramount. And that is the biggest, most important skill to develop. How do you become a good storyteller? Allow yourself to play. You know, a storyteller doesn't just have to be uh, so uh, case study. Doesn't have to be. So we worked with a client recently, and they had this problem, and we were able to solve it like this, and they saved money. Great story. I want to see and feel. I want that imagery. I want to take that journey, and I go imagine yourself being this position where. Everything about your business boils down to this one key point, and it's a problem you can't solve. Well, the good news for you is we do X, Y, Z. We solve the problem. I mean, even just introducing it in that way, doing that imaginative storytelling—that is more about how you play with it. Allow yourself to play. You know, we don't have to be super professional iron robots when we're speaking. You know, we we have to allow ourselves to be a little bit malleable and, and character building. You know, there's a reason that it's engaging for kids. When you tell a kid, "There's this wizard and he climbs a tree and something magical happens," all of that animation in your voice and face, it creates engagement. But we stop doing it as adults, and that's why I think people should allow themselves to play a little with their voice and play a little with their facial expressions. When you play, you learn. I love that. Absolutely. <laughs> Inspirations in my backyard. Original, relatable, authentic. So, looking back, your life—is there any turning points? Ah,、uh, yes. <laughs> a big part for me was when I had to find a way to transition from having a very theatre-driven life to finding a way to carve out my future. In the corporate world, where technically I was just a theatre performer, theatre was my life. I, I would I would dance, sing, act. Ballet was my world. It, it's all I knew as a skill set. Having to transition from that into the corporate world meant I didn't know what I was capable of.、And、the turning point for me was when my brother and I managed to find a way to work with ComBank to run a financial literacy program. We got some good connections through Change Labs, which was brilliant. And I ran a national finance program. I was a national facilitator, and I realised then I know nothing about finance at all. I know nothing about finance. I couldn't profess to be a financial advisor or expert or anything, but I knew how to perform. And the fact that I was able to perform and play the role necessary, I was able to leapfrog to the next thing and the next thing and start my business. So that comes back to that point about it's not. What you say, it's how you say it. I wasn't a leader of finance. I just knew how to perform the role, and that was the day that I I realised. Okay, I just spoke to over I don't know 170,000 students this year. I spoke to over 170,000 low attention span students, and it worked. The fact being that I was performing constantly and creating the engagement. That that was the moment I turned it all around in my head and going, I can teach people to do this. Where about the biggest challenge? Biggest challenge. The biggest challenge I have faced is probably current, and it's about my、uh, growth experience in the business. 
the startup life being that I wasn't funded. I had to start this on my own. And that's scary because now, even three weeks ago, we've moved offices from the tiny little office that I started here in Epworth Building, doubling the size to the office we have now. With that comes more expenses and I've got a sales team now, I've got an admin person, I've got people who I need to pay, which is exciting growth, yeah. right? It kind of comes both ways. It comes both ways. This is something that people don't talk about often with business. It's the excitement of growth and that's great. But then the reality hits where I'm going, I need to pay so much money for this office. I need to pay staff and wages and and it's exciting but scary and there's suddenly pressure and this is something I'm not across I'm not expert in I I have to find a way to make this work I have to make more sales to justify the growth and that's a fine line in order to have more money coming in I need the sales team to help me I need admin assistance so suddenly I have all these extra expenses without the extra income and that is scary and that is my current challenge that I'm facing day to day so how how are you solving this issue hmm well <laughs> I try to learn from everyone I can. I network regularly, like three times a week, bare minimum. I'm at networking events every day, every week, three times a week. So I network as often as I can, trying to grow the business. On top of that, I try to learn from others. I'm always going, if I'm choosing a networking event, it's going to something that's run by the Tax Institute, that's run about learning how to minimize your tax, how to prepare in the best way you can. I'm going to things run by the Department for Trading Skills. I'm running events going to anywhere that I can that's going to actually add value to my business. So I'm learning along the way while still networking. I have a mentor still to this day. I think it's important to have a mentor in everyone's life, whether you're in business or just a student. So I have a mentor. I have trusted people in my network. I've really figured out who the high value people are. They're usually people who will add more value rather than what they take out of your life. There's that. Uh, I use really smart programs like the internship program from Adelaide Uni where I can add value to the student where they're getting practical experience and it's hugely beneficial to me as well. So know who's in your network. Use available things like the, the internship program. Network as often as you can, especially where you can learn new skills. Uh, have a mentor, absolutely. Great. Thanks for sharing. And... Then next would be, is there any book or people really impact you in yes. your life? Yes. One of the best finance books that I've read and actually my whole family is on it. My parents have read it for their individual businesses and it's had the biggest impact. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. The principles are fantastic. So I really liked The Richest Man in Babylon for myself and it's still to this day a principle that I adhere to. What's the principle? Ah, so <laughs> money is your slave. I know slavery is bad. But if money works for you and creates more money, this is a good thing. So where you put that 10% away, how long you don't touch it for, making sure that that 10% that goes away is actually working for you. That's kind of the idea. Uh, read the book. It's really good. Uh, so The Richest Man in Babylon is one really good one. Uh, there's obviously things that have changed me specifically for my industry, things like how to win friends and influence people, which is about that communication style. Body language, pretty much anything written by Alan Pease. Pease are like the thought leaders of what well, they're leading in that content for body language. So anything to do with Alan uh, Pease and, and Pease in general. Alan Parker, 
has written books like Beyond Yes and all of those negotiations. He is by far an expert on negotiation. So all of those books written by Alan Parker about negotiation is fantastic. Definitely a leader in nonverbal communication, creating buy-in and negotiating well. Alan Pierce, Alan Parker, The Richest Man in Babylon, How to Win Friends and Influence People, they've, they've had the most impact on me, especially because they're relevant to my kind of content. More, free, more recently, we're seeing things that have come out that are quite good. Obviously, everything that Simon Sinek is behind is, is pretty good. I'm loving the whole concept of starting with why. Lovely. Thanks for sharing again. Um, what inspires your everyday life? I'm inspired by my parents' journey. So, you know, Serbia has been at war for so many years and various wars that it's gone through from the days of Yugoslavia. And my parents lived through some of that hardship and they've come over here specifically for a better life. What I then saw was work ethic, commitment, developing a better future for themselves and their children. I have seen them go through... Oh, okay, I'm give you one very short story. My parents over their difficult journey of immigration, they got to a point where money was very, very tight. They had my brother and myself, there was four of us, and they had to find a way to eat on $5 a day, four people, whole day. So think about this. You've got kids in school, there's two adults, and they needed to eat like three square meals for $5. And my mum was a genius when it came to being clever about how she would do that. And I saw them being so thoughtful and methodical around how they would choose where they eat, like where they would buy things, would they go marketplaces, how versatile is this particular thing. It was so methodical, it was so well thought out. We never went without, but I saw the hardship and I witnessed how calculated they had to be for us to manage to eat that way, five dollars a day, four people, three, four meals. For a whole, I think it took them two years like that. And that's in Australia. They were not talking living that way in a third world country or anything. That was how they had to get by here when they first got here. I am inspired by seeing what they've been able to create. They they could have lived differently day to day, absolutely, but their vision was bigger and their vision was future, which meant they were willing to sacrifice now. They were willing to live a difficult life now because the result is in future they were able to buy more properties, they were able to establish their businesses, travel more. Now I see them living a, an absolutely carefree life Uh, they've got the opportunity for lavish things, but they don't They don't live that way. It's an interesting thing. Even though they could, they're still striving for better in future. I, I know now my mum could drop $1,000 on a meal and she wouldn't care, but but it's, it's needs versus wants. Back then, they needed to do that to have a better future. So, yeah, I'm inspired, by, I'm inspired by the immigration story of my parents because I saw them struggle, I saw them commit to whatever it took, even if it took a short-term sacrifice where they had to get by with $5 a day for four people to eat a full day, three meals. That took two years to get out of that position and my mum was ruthless. But because she was willing to sacrifice in the short term, The benefits came through in the long term where we are so much better off now and they bought properties and built a portfolio and, you know, I'm inspired by that story and I, I live that way now where I am, I'm most happy to sacrifice 
as much as I can now because I know that I can build a better future like she did. I see a lot of people living lavish lives now, but then they'll struggle in retirement. And that's, that's no way to live in future. And you don't leave, leave anything as a legacy to your next generation either. So, yeah, I'm, I am, I have a balance. I only, I only splurge when I can justify it. It's just I think it's important to keep in balance. My parents have taught me so much in that. So I'm most inspired by them. What about three habits you feel like really beneficial to your personal life as well? Wake up early. That was something I struggled with as a young person because I'm like, I'm a night owl and, you know, I do my best work comes out at night. Everyone says these kind of things, but reality is I have redefined myself and rediscovered who I'm, who I am by starting early. So my new mantra in life every day, doesn't matter how late it's been the night before. And this includes weekends. Every day I get up at five. Now, I'm not the person that's getting up at five and going to the gym or anything like that. I'm getting up at five and getting ahead in my practical life. If I know I'm going to go to work and kill it and I've got meetings at night and networking event at night and whatever, I come home, I don't want to come home and be like, oh, now I need to cook and clean and do my laundry and do blah, 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 because life still happens, right? So I get up at five every day and every day I'm doing something that contributes to my home life, something. So on a Monday, it's laundry day. On a Tuesday, I'm cooking for the week ahead. On a Wednesday, it might be that I'll sweep and mop. And I, like I do all these things in my life every morning where most people will probably go to the gym and everyone's got their thing. Mine is so that I can come home at night and feel refreshed and fulfilled. So it means that the weekends are back to being my weekends. I'm not stuck at home all the time. It's really nice. So 5 a.m. has changed my life early to rise there's a reason that wealthy people write about this in books i learned about it by reading a book that said start your day early and they look at all the successful people they start early it's so true i am 10 times more productive by waking up early so early rise what um, time do you go to sleep i should be earlier but <laughs> look because i'm going to events and like last night i had a board meeting board meeting finished by about uh, whatever i went to an event finished about 9 nine thirty. got home 10 30 maybe 10 30 10 45 it's not ideal uh but i should really be going to bed earlier that's part of the discipline is learning that if you're going to commit to this then you just gotta do what you gotta do 5 a.m well at least challenge yourself to start earlier so i i progressed from where i was which is like eight <laughs> to going backwards a couple of hours and so I went from eight to seven seven to six and now I'm on a five o'clock club so yeah early to start uh the next big pro tip is embrace effectiveness I have loved finding efficient ways to do things I'm always asking myself is there a more efficient way so someone asked me oh can you design a flyer for something and I went sure I could get on on Word or on Publisher and I could go design from scratch. Then I look realistically at the particular need. I'm going, do they need something custom designed to that level? What is a particular flyer for? It's, if it's not part of their corporate branding that's going to go into proposals and all that sort of stuff, it was something like it was just a little internal memo flyer for their staff. I'm like, Canva, find a template, use Canva, five minutes. And I designed something and produced it for them. I'm not even a designer. This was a friend asking for a, a favor and I was able to help out. I couldn't afford for this to put be put onto my schedule and cost me time. So always ask yourself, is there a more efficient way to do this? 
I have started using Calendly rather than having the back and forth. When are you free? When are you free? Text, phone, email. When are you free? Negotiate our calendars for a meeting. I'm like, here's my calendar. End of story. Always find a more efficient way to do things. So one, early to rise. Two, find an efficient way to do things. And three, pro tip, cook in advance. Oh my goodness. I have found a new lease on life by not thinking about food. If you're having client meetings in a restaurant, sure, that's a food-related conversation, you're having a client meeting. When we're having our own time for food, like now, I'm in the office, my lunch meeting just arrived. I don't have to think about, what am I going to do for lunch? Where am I going to go? Should I cook something? It's already in the microwave, ready to go, pre-cooked from a week ago, and it was in my freezer. Knowing that I have a whole new lease on life, simply from just planning ahead, even in a cooking way, it changes everything. Lovely. Is there anything I missed? I think it's an important point to keep in mind that give yourself permission. And when I'm talking about inspiration, give yourself permission to have a little bit of a challenging day. It's okay to need a mental health day. That's a very, very important point. There are people out there who look at my business and there's an assumption that we're doing well, we're making money, we're successful, whatever. Behind closed doors, there are challenges. There are definitely challenges and no one talks about them. And I have struggled, but while I'm being honest, I have struggled with this expectation to keep it quiet and keep safe face, you know. It's important to look after yourself. So while we are looking at inspiration, we're looking at people who we aspire to learn from, keep in mind that everyone does have a struggle day. Don't ever judge them. Don't ever give them a hard time for it. Just understand that they need support to pick themselves up and keep going. Mental health is such an important thing, which is why my weekends are my weekends. And I am very, very, I am strict on my Sundays. I have like a no phone Sundays rule where possible. I just flip it face down, put it on silent. I have to have some recovery. So if you come across someone who is in business and you think they're doing really well, whatever, actually just ask them. Ask them if they're well. Ask them if they're doing all right. Because these important conversations around supporting mental health in a startup is so, so valuable. People who do reach out to me and they ask if I'm okay, thank you. We're facing an are you okay day very soon. This has to be something we talk about for small businesses and entrepreneurs and startups because we go through so much pressure that no one else sees. So the next time you face a startup or an entrepreneur or a small business, Ask them if they're okay. Take them to a coffee and just listen. So I owe you a coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. go to a coffee. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you are enjoying the show, please make sure to follow, share, rate, or leave me a comment. This podcast is written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Xie Zhang. Stay well, and I will catch up with you next week.